All right. Well, good morning. Good morning. Happy New Year. All right. That was kind of weak. That's kind of weak. Like, I know this is my time. All right. So I know you're better than that. I'm going to give you another chance, though. Okay. Because we're filled with grace. Happy New Year. All right. That's better. That's better. You guys get there. All right. So listen, um, I am going to uh, set my phone here, but I don't have a timer on it. And so um, it w- would somebody just like let me know when I got about five minutes left, okay, and I'll, I'll wrap it up, okay? So um, usually I have a, a screen that's, and I got a thing that says you got to go, but um, I don't have that right now, so I don't want to get lost in it. So I was thinking, um, I know it's New Year and uh, Christmas time, and I brought this, I brought this calendar here. Uh, I don't know if you guys have one like this. But uh, in, my ha- in my house, we- we've got four kids. Well, five if you count me. And so Christmas is like a really big deal in our house. And um, we-, we have this-, this countdown to Christmas, as you can see here. And I'm just going to go ahead, and I don't know if you guys have a favorite day of the year, but I'm going to put it on mine. It's December 24th. And, um, and-, and so this is actually days till Christmas, so I should, I should actually put it to-, to one right there. Because Christmas Eve is definitely my favorite time uh, of the year and my favorite day of the year. And so, you know, I, I don't know how your Christmas was. Did anybody overbuy? Like, you, over, you overbought for Christmas? It's cool. Like, we just show of hands. If you, if you like, oh, man, you went in too deep and you probably... Did anybody underbuy? You're like, oh, wait, wait let me, I'll be right back. I didn't realize we were like that, you know. And, um, that, that happens. That, that's a thing. That's a thing. Um, you know, at, at Christmas, we, we, we kind of experience all sorts of different things, but, but I was thinking about, like, what's my favorite part about Christmas? I think Christmas Eve is actually my favorite part about Christmas. It's my favorite day of the year. And so, uh, for me, there's just, there's like something about that day that I want to keep going. Um, as a matter of fact, like I'm talking literal as well, because so we do, we do uh, two services. We do two services. We got to uh, rent out a space in downtown Delray. Uh, I don't know if you, if you guys have been up to Delray. They've got that big old tree in the downtown area. Well, they have an amphitheater. It's a 100-foot tree. They have an amphitheater that, that the city allowed us to rent for Christmas Eve. It was like super cool. So we did a 5 and a 7.30 or uh, uh, 5.30 and 7. And it was, it was really awesome. But traditionally, and it happened again this year, uh, my two older, I've got like I said, four kids, five and six, and then I've got a, a 20-year-old and a 16-year-old, my wife and I do. And traditionally, the, the two older kids and I, after we finish with the service at the avenue, we look and we find a more like traditional, almost midnight type service and go to that. Um, just because, you know, like when you're doing service, it's one thing to do, it's another thing to kind of like receive. You want to do both, but I just love Christmas Eve so much that I want to keep the party going. So we find a late service, which we did. We went up to Palm Beach Island, and uh, we went to a service up there, Bethesda-by-the-Sea. It was like an old traditional type church with like the hymns and the liturgy, like some of the things that my heart kind of longs for, especially on, on Christmas Eve. And then we ended it like we always do, at least the last couple of years, with a traditional meal at Checkers. Um, because what else is open at like, you know, 1230 and Christmas Eve? I mean, how else would you want to start your Christmas besides those checker fries, right? Now, I'm going to come to a point in the message where I tell you to not eat like that all the time. So, so just, just know that I'm not like a, a 100% one way or, or, or the other. I can, I can enjoy a checker's fry now and then. It's like I want to keep it going, this, this whole Christmas Eve uh, experience. 
there's, there's kind of like, like three things about Christmas Eve that I love. It's, number one is you're on the edge of hope. It, it like hasn't happened yet. It, it's, it's about to happen. And, and sometimes Christmas Day is awesome. Sometimes it's not. But what you know you can count on always being awesome is the anticipation for it. Being on the edge of hope is, is like filled with, with adrenaline. And, and, and number two is filled with wonder. So, so Christmas Eve, is, is you're on the edge of hope. You know something good is coming, although it hasn't come yet. And number two is you're filled with wonder. It, you, you start to look at things. You start to have new eyes. And, and it's like you're, you're, you're filled with this new sense of wonder. I mean, even the whole world is. Like, like it, it brings us together. Even though the world doesn't know Jesus, they know that there's something special about this time. And, and it's like the world stops like never before, like clockwork once a year, and they get filled with wonder, even though they can't name it. Thirdly, it's, it's like a warmth of heart that grows. People get nicer, even if it's for a day. <laughs> People get nicer, right? Have you ever noticed that you're like in Starbucks, and cl- the closer you get to Christmas, especially Christmas Eve, if you're like out of place in line or you grab the wrong drink, it's okay. It's like everybody's just kind of like, oh, no, go ahead, go ahead. People are holding the door. Now, now the day after Christmas, things go back to normal. But, but like, it's, it's almost as if your heart grows warmer in this particular season and especially in this day. So, so my thought is this. What would it look like to be able to live a life that I call that Christmas Eve life? On the edge of hope, filled with wonder, with my heart growing warmer. I brought a few things that will, will hopefully help us to have a visual of this uh, because oftentimes we have that Christmas hangover, right? Where it's like Christmas, Christmas Day happens and then, and then it's, like, um, it's like over, okay? And, and there's almost like an empty feeling to it. It's almost like when you come in here and you see all this cool like decoration, you're, you almost feel like, wow, we probably should have put it away because it's over. And we got to wait like 11 and a half months now until we get to, until we get to live that type of life again. And, and you know, uh, it's almost as if there's an emptiness after, after the season of Christmas. But, you know, according to the Bible that I read, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. Like, th- there could be, and I know this is probably not the best illustration here, but I took it from, this is one of my kids' little Christmas trees in their room. We, we could have that Christmas Eve life. That Christmas Eve life that's actually on the edge of hope, filled with wonder, with hearts growing warmer all the time, not just in a season. And today we're going to look at the fuel and how to join in with that fuel for this type of life. So let's pray and and we'll hop in. Father, thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to be here at the exchange. We pray as though we just sung that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and help us to join you in the renewal of all things. Would you begin with us and move outward from this moment in Christ's name? Amen and amen. Well, uh, so grateful to be here again, like I said, and thankful to uh, Josiah, who you have been radically blessed with to call pastor. Um, at this church. And so I want to make sure that honor is given where honor is due. This is a man who gives his heart, his, his mind, and his soul uh, to Jesus and, and to pastoring you. And so although I may uh, have 
had the opportunity to speak a few words into the exchange and into his life, uh, his, his modeling speaks words into me of what it means to be a shepherd and a good shepherd uh, like, like you have. And so thank you to Josiah and blessings on he and Kimber and their family. So that Christmas Eve life, where does it come from? If you have your Bibles, um, we're going to be uh, in 1 Peter, and we're going to be looking at why it's actually possible for us to even think that we could have um, that Christmas Eve life. Peter writes to Christians that are dispersed. They, they were gathered in Jerusalem for a good minute or so, and then persecution comes, and there's disbursement. Now, he's writing um, to those who have uh, been scattered throughout. And this is what he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, stop, so the first thing we're going to see is that what we're going to read for the rest of this particular passage has nothing to do with you besides the fact that you are a grateful recipient of it. This is all about God's decision and design to pursue you when you are at your worst and promise to give you his best. I love that about this passage because as we start to, as we start to look at living hope, and we start to explore what does that actually mean, what does that look like, Um, sometimes we're going to think that it it depends on us to receive it, or if we don't buy that lie, then we're going to buy the lie that sometimes it depends on us to keep it. And what we have to make clear from the onset is that the Christmas Eve life that's based on the living hope that we're going to look at has everything to do with God, and he invites you to simply receive it and join him in it. But it does not depend on you. According to his great mercy, the heart that he has for people like me and for people like you, he has caused us to be born again to, there it is, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so um, you're probably familiar maybe at least with hearing the term born again. Um, This reminds us that none of us have always been a Christian. None of us were, were born into Christianity. We were actually born not into Jesus, but we were born into sin. And sin separates us from God. It's, it's not only our nature as we come into this world, but it's actually what we get good at. We, we actually get good at that first nature of living outside of God's design. It's rebellion against a holy and just God. And the, and the answer, the consequence to that, the judgment of that, that holy and righteous God is separation. So that's a, that's a really uh, bad situation to be born into. But again, we're reminded that this is about God's mercy and his decision to pursue us even though we were born separated from him based on our, our own sinfulness. And the way that he pursues us is through Christ. We know the Christmas story, at least we have an idea of the narrative most likely, that there was a baby in a manger, and the fullness of that baby is that he was God the Son who would go to a cross, and he would pay for your sin and my sin. He would be separated on our behalf, die the death that we should have died, and on the third day he would overcome sin. He would have paid it fully. 
for people just like me and just like you who need a great mercy to come and simply just say, Jesus, I quit. I quit on me and life outside of you. I'm turning from it. I'm, I'm even sorry I tried to live it. And Jesus, I rest and I trust the best I can in your finished work for me. You died for me and rose again. In that moment, which for many of you, you can maybe remember the moment. For others of you, it might have been a season of you hearing the gospel message, the great exchange which your church is named after of your sin for, for the righteousness of Jesus. Um, but, but there was a time when, when you put your faith in not only the finished work of Jesus, but also the living person of Jesus, because they go together. You came to a person, not just a set of beliefs. And, and you rested. You're like, I can't, but you can, so I'm going to let you. And, and you trusted him to forgive you based on that work. When, when that happened, you were born again. You were, you were uh, made new, which means you had already been born once, but now you got made alive again into a new family. That's going to be really important for us to remember as we talk about this Christmas Eve life and experiencing that more as a life and not just as maybe a moment once, once a year. And what was, what was that... What was that new birth based on? It was based on the mercy of God centered in the resurrection of Jesus. All right, cool. All right, let's, let's keep going. Um, so it's a living hope, all right? Let's, let's find out a little bit more about that living hope. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Kept in heaven for you. For you, I love that because if you're like me, there's three things that w will not be um, incredibly foreign for you to lose: your keys, your wallet, or your phone. How many of you last year lost one of those? You might have found it again. That's cool. All right, all right, good. So I can see that I'm not I'm not alone. Man, I lose stuff. I lose important things. I've only lost one of my kids once that I remember, and I just turned right back around and got her, and she's okay. She's, she's okay. But the thing is, we lose stuff. We break stuff. You know those cool shoes that you got for Christmas, that amazing shirt that you got for Christmas? It will eventually end up in a bag going to somebody else who thinks it's awesome like a year and a half from now. Or you'll lose it, or you'll rip it, or you'll sting it, whatever, and then you get another one. And the same is actually true of even like more important things that we hold on to, like our careers, our stuff, like even our family, we can't maintain and keep just the way we want. It usually doesn't fully work out according to the dreams that we had. And that's good news for us to be reminded of the one hope, the living hope that we have in Christ is actually a hope that's kept for you. You can't lose it. You can't even tarnish it. You can't ruin it. You can't damage it. Undefiled, unfaded, kept in heaven for you, who, this is now you, by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed to you in the last time. 
Good news, that you're being guarded through your faith, which also is a gift to you. In this, you rejoice. This is good news. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. All right, I love this. Ready? So, so here's, here's what the passage is saying, and, and commentator David Guzik helped me on this as I um, looked at his, as his material. Uh, basically, there's this, there's this idea that um, sometimes uh, when, when our faith gets tested, it's kind of like who's doing that testing, and what, what is that testing for? In this particular passage, the testing of your faith that you may need to experience for a while through various trials that maybe you even brought in here this morning is not so that God is convinced that you're a believer. It's not like God's up in heaven being like, I don't know, man. I don't know. We're going to test him. Come on, y'all. Let's pray this up. Let's get a pyramid. Let's pray for Mike. Let's pray for Daniel because they're gonna, their testing's going to start now. And I'm not sure... If the faith that I gave them and I guarded them is going to be enough. It's not what's happening. This is not a testing to reveal something to God as though he's worried about your faith. This is a testing that is revealing something to you. To let you know the genuineness of of your faith so that you might look back on 2021 and say, hey, it wasn't perfect. Hey, it wasn't a 10 for 10, but I know that by faith, I'm here and God has been guarding me through that faith. And so although that faith may be sloppy and messy at times, I know the author of that faith and the guarder of that faith is faithful to me. And so I'm realizing that my, my faith is real. I mean, it, it comes and goes, and it's stronger and lesser at some time. But it's a genuine faith. And for that, I can be thankful. For that, I can know that this is really happening. That Christmas Eve life. What does the experience of that look like? Well, a couple of, couple of thoughts here on, on the idea of, of living hope and the experience of living hope. Uh, well, what would the opposite of living hope be? It would be dead hope. Dead hope is like um, when you had hoped to experience something by a certain time, but that time passed and it didn't work out. So maybe you hoped that you had uh, finished your schooling by age, like, 23, but you're 26 now, and that didn't work out. So that's kind of like a dead hope. Maybe you had hoped that you'd be married by a certain time, but you're not, and that age passed, and so that's kind of like a dead hope. Or maybe you had hoped that you would have a job or this much, whatever, that we have all sorts of different hopes that we put a timeline on, and, and, and they didn't necessarily work out, and so they're, they're now kind of like a, a dead hope, if you will. And, and then there's hopes that I would call, are, they're, they're solid hopes, but they're, they're more like, um, 
they're, they're more sort of like um, self-dependent hope. It's, it's a hope that you might have, but it depends on you to keep it alive. Like, so you guys uh, might have hopes for 2022. You might have some resolutions or whatever, whatever it is. And, and so you might be thinking about that and you might be thinking, okay, man, th- these are the hopes that I have for, for 2022. But a, lo- a lot of that time, a lot of that, a lot of that hope depends on you and you got to keep it alive and you got to like keep reminding yourself of things and, and keep yourself kind of like going in, in that hope. And those are okay. It's not, but, but the, the passage here is talking about a living hope. And the cool thing about a living hope is that this is a hope that doesn't depend on you. This is a hope that's actually kept for you. And you're simply invited to join in on this hope and experience that Christmas Eve life more and more and more. But even if you choose not to, even if you choose to live out of this sort of emptiness, you're believing a different narrative, it's still a hope that's kept for you. This morning, I believe God just wants to invite you to join more and more into the living hope that's already yours, although it doesn't depend on you. And so as we, as we sort of um, think about what might it look like to join in on the experience of living hope more and more and more, I think we have to kind of get our minds around the reality that just because you're born into something doesn't mean you're going to grow up into that thing. Just because we've been born again into a living hope where we're invited every day to be on the edge of hope filled with wonder with hearts growing warmer doesn't mean we're actually going to grow up in that way. I have two children that were born into another family. That family was deemed by the state to not be able to care for those children. So we fostered them and adopted them. And they were born into one family, but are actually growing up in another family. Just because we've been born again into a living hope doesn't mean you're automatically going to experience it and live it the way that God has called you to. You're not going to lose it because remember what it's dependent on? God's great mercy. But you might not experience it the way God has intended for you. And for that, I want to turn to a friend of mine in the Old Testament named Elijah. Maybe you're familiar with Elijah. We're going to be looking at Elijah here for a second because I believe he gives us a great example of somebody who knew about that living hope, but for a good minute there in his life, chose to live out of sort of another set of family values. 1 Kings 19 um, is is the, the narrative of Elijah, and it chronicles somebody Uh, who was definitely very familiar with living hope. I would encourage you um, to to read about Elijah this week and at least read that chapter 
with, with maybe a, a new set of eyes. Elijah is a prophet in the Old Testament, and um, prophets were sent to uh, share the heart of God with the people. They, they, were, they were meant to um, help the people to understand what was coming from the heart of God. And this was Elijah's job. And Elijah found himself ministering in a time when he was in the minority. Elijah was not celebrated. He was not, um, you know, the, there, there weren't uh, big, big moments where the prophets of Elijah's day were celebrated because God's people had, they had, they had kind of left God's design. They, they found themselves outside of, of God's heart for the most part, the majority. And so Elijah's, he's in a world that is outside of God's design, rebellious to God's design, and yet he's remaining faithful, calling God's people back. So he comes into um, the context of the Baals, which are like, you know, false god. And uh, there's, there's this big showdown, uh, if you will, where, where the prophets of Baal, the false god of that time, uh, have been set up against um, the prophet of God, the one true God. And, and the, the setting, if you will, is uh, y- you've got over here sort of, and what comes to my mind is probably not the most theological thing, but it, it just comes to my mind because maybe it's my six-year-old. But it would be like the ultimate WWE SmackDown. It's kind of like if you're familiar with wrestling at all, okay? It's like in this corner, and over here is like the, sort of the, the bad guy. And he enters in with, with the, his entourage, and it's, it's the prophets of Baal. And they set up this altar, and basically there's an altar over here and an altar over here. It's the Royal Rumble, like who's going to win, two men enter, one man leave type thing. And whoever wins is going to be kind of like God of the day. And the idea is that there's going to be fire that comes down and consumes the offering. So the prophets of Baal get to go first. And uh, Elijah, is just, he's just kind of off to the side. And they're doing their thing. They're dancing around with their best energy and, and like all their strength. They're yelling out. And Elijah, he's, um, uh, again, I'm not saying this is like uh, biblically like supported, like go out and do this. But this is just what happened. He's just smack talking them. He's like, I don't think he can hear you. Y'all need to scream louder. You know, and he's just over here, and he's just giving it to them, and they're screaming louder, and they're doing everything they can uh, to the, the point of exhaustion. And it's, it's like they're pouring out all their energy into trying to make something happen, but it's a dead hope. Have you ever been there? Have you ever found yourself just pouring yourself out with all that you are to the point of exhaustion only to realize it was a dead hope you were putting your faith in? That's where the prophets of Baal are. Well, then Elijah steps up, who's very familiar with the living hope. And he calls out on the name of the one true God, and fire falls down, consumes not only the altar, but the area there. And I mean, God makes his mark. It's a huge win for the one true God. Elijah then believes that this is the moment that is going to turn the tide for God's people. 
And he goes to leadership, and he, he has great expectation now that, that because God has shown himself to be so evident that that's going to change hearts and minds. And you know what leadership tells him? I'm going to kill you. Like tomorrow, if you're still alive, let it be done to me that I die, is what the queen tells him in this moment. And what, and what does Elijah do? Does he stand and look at her the same way he looked at the prophets of Baal, filled with that living hope, and said, like, come on, bring it on. If you, if you can't see how God delivered me here, you're, you've got to be blind. God, I'm going to stand right here. I'm not going anywhere. The living hope will deliver his name in me. No, you know what he does? He runs. Elijah is like, oh my goodness, I'm going to die. And he's like, I'm out. And, and so he, he gets out, like, literally, physically. He gets out. Forget that Christmas Eve life. He is definitely in that sort of, like, Christmas hangover life where it's like, man, uh, is it kind of an empty shell of what it was. And he flees. I listened to a, um, a really helpful, and I would suggest it to you, Tim Keller's sermon on this as well that, that's helpful in the material that we're about to 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 leave with it's I think super applicable even the whole the whole teaching and he the first thing he does is he he lets go his partner in the ministry which Keller says is an indication that he's quitting the ministry like I'm, I'm done with the whole God thing like it, it must not have worked and so he lets this person go and then he goes and he's just out he's hiding in fear for his life. And he tells the Lord, I'm like, you got to take me out. I can't go on like this anymore. I'm, I'm alone. I'm the only one in this. I'm done. Well, what does God do? We have to remember that God is a God of great mercy that has caused us to be because of his heart, not ours, born again into a living hope. And so he goes and he meets him to encourage him and remind him of the living hope that is his. But how does he do it? How does God come and meet Elijah when Elijah has started to believe the narrative of his enemy, the narrative of his time, and the narrative of his own heart? Does, does God... Um, send him a Bible verse? Does he, does he text him the verse of the day from, from the YouVersion Bible app? Does he give him a super awesome Devo to read from Paul Tripp about hanging in there during tough times? No, no, no. Does God, like, pray for him? No. The first way that God meets Elijah is physically. He physically meets Elijah. The passage tells us that the angel of the Lord comes and touches Elijah. He touches him. And then he feeds him. Then Elijah sleeps. And then he does it again touches him, feeds him. 
we see that um, the first way that God meets Elijah as he's slipping out of that Christmas Eve life into something that is certainly not on the edge of hope, filled with wonder and a heart growing warmer. The first way that he meets him is physically. And then he meets him relationally. God doesn't tell Elijah something. He actually asks him a question. What are you doing here? Look at the passage with me. What are you doing here in verse 9? And then again in verse 13. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? The second way that God meets Elijah in the midst of his decision to turn and want to run is relationally. He builds relationship with Elijah. He doesn't come in with quotes and statements and, and, and bold comments or commentary about the situation. He comes in and he knows Elijah. He allows Elijah to share his heart, where he is, and why he's there. And then, and then God meets him in his heart. I, I, I think there's three ways. I don't know if they're on the screen right now. If we can go to the three ways that God meets him physically, relationally. And, and what would have been really cool, like as far as like putting together messages and taking notes, is if I wrote the word spiritually, because they all would end in L-Y, right? And it'd be like easy to remember. But I, the point is they're all spiritual. We, we don't want to separate like God speaking to Elijah as the super spiritual thing and miss the fact that when God fed Elijah and was just with Elijah and asked Elijah a, qu- a question, that was just as spiritual. And so, so God meets him in his heart. And in the low whisper, after the, the, the great wind goes by and, and after the, the, the fire goes by, in the low whisper, God speaks to him and encourages his heart and finally tells him, you're not alone and, and go back and go on your way. And so, my encouragement to us as, as you uh, find yourself on this continuum here between maybe like maybe you haven't maybe you haven't left what God was doing in you and through you during that Christmas season where, where you were on the edge of hope filled with wonder with your heart growing warmer maybe that's where you are right now and you're and Elijah is like somebody that you can help that that's not you cool maybe you're kind of like right here in the middle and like working it out with everything that's going on both inside here and outside these walls and you're trying to figure life out so that's got you here. Or maybe you're here because for some of us, the holidays are like pretty horrific and they highlight and remind us of everything we don't have and we're surrounded by a ton of people that are happy and we're like, why are we not? And we're supposed to be. And we know Jesus and it's not working. What's up with that? So, so, so wherever, wherever you might be, 
I believe God wants you to just simply hear this invitation. And the invitation is pretty simple. Allow him to meet you where you might be physically, where you might be relationally, and, and where you might be in your hearts in 2022 by putting yourself in situations where you can join him in that process. You see, we have something, we have an advantage that Elijah didn't have. None of you probably have called down fire recently. I mean, that I know of. For New Year's Eve, my, my five and six-year-old and I, we, we made s'mores on a candle. But that's about as close to, to me calling down fires. And it was a scented candle, and halfway through, I was like, that's probably not good. It's probably not good for their... My neighbor came over. He's like, I don't think you can do that to them. And I was in the... So, so I changed it to just a votive. So I think they're going to be okay. But I mean, I'm not a, I don't call down fire. I, I, don't, I don't like, you know... Wherever you might be, whatever you might be experiencing, I believe the invitation for all of us is the same. To step into more and more and more of what is ours, that Christmas Eve life, every day, by joining God in what he's already doing. And here's the advantage we have over Elijah. We know the story. Like, we know how it all works out. We know the name of the promise that Elijah was fighting for. We know the grave is empty. We know our living hope is kept for us. We know we can't lose it. So we don't just have to sit in our cave that we've created and wait for God to meet us. We can actually join God in some of the same ways that he met Elijah because we know more. What would that look like for you in 2022? Let me just tell you real clearly. It's going to be crazy hard for you like this week, to live on the edge of hope, be filled with wonder, and have a heart that's growing warmer if you're eating checkers five out of five days. It's just going to be hard. If you're not sleeping, if you're not, like, exercising, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard for you to join God in the ways that he wants to meet you and experience this if you're actually working against the physical. Let, let's not be a, a, a family of God separates the two and, I mean, and, and thinks that, well, it doesn't so much matter over here as long as I'm here. That's just, that's just not true. I mean, if you read your Bibles, you'll see that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit that we get new bodies. So your bodies and your physical care matters to God. So for some of you, the cave of your depression and anxiety, the cave of whatever it is that's kind of got you over here, 
I'm not saying it has everything to do with your physicality, but I'm also not saying it has nothing to do with it. This is not a, like, um, like um, uh, I'm not Dr. Oz here giving you, like, three best tips on, I'm just telling you. Like, this is how God met him and brought him back here. So one of the ways that you can join God, because we already know the story, in how he wants to meet you, is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice and to be intentional about your sleeping, about your eating, about your exercise. Like, like a couple of times a week, if, if this is South Florida, so if you're not sweating, and it doesn't count just walking to the car, you're like, I'm a sweater, I'm good on this one. No, no, no I'm not talking about you. If you're not intentionally trying to like move and, and exercise and join God in the way that he made your body to be healthy and to be, it's going to be really hard for you to experience that Christmas Eve life. I mean, what you put in and how you care for it, it actually affects the experience. And, and for me, man, I just, I want my church I want the city of Delray Beach, and I want my children to know about a Jesus that puts me on the edge of hope, fills me with wonder, and makes my heart grow warmer. And I, and I want to do things that help to join God in that, not work against it. Secondly, relationally. How can we join God in 2022 relationally as it pertains to that Christmas Eve life? Well, Elijah got seen, he got heard, he got known. For the, I was talking to Pastor Mike, and he was telling me, all right, so nobody gave me my five minutes. I think I need to end soon, right? Are we, are we, I need to wrap it up. All right. <laughs> you gave me like a five-ish. Okay. All right. Oh, seven. Thanks. Thanks. And he said that there's like a ton of you in small groups. That's awesome. That is a sign of a healthy spirit-filled church that you guys would commit yourselves not only to this gathering and teaching, but also to where you can be heard and seen and known, where people can ask you questions and you can share why you are where you are. And you won't necessarily be hit immediately by a Bible verse, but maybe by like a hug and a meal and somebody who's willing to walk alongside you and ask a follow-up question and a follow-up question that leads you back to Jesus. Relationally, we, we, we can't live that Christmas Eve life alone. It was never meant to be like a solo adventure. And if you want to join God in the way that he wants to meet you in 2022, it's got to be in community where, where God through his people can ask you and encourage you and walk alongside of you. We have all sorts of different groups at the Avenue Church. Like they, some are like deep dives, some are like my running group. Six o'clock, Friday morning, we meet, we run, and then we, we just kind of like gather together and, and, and we, you know, maybe look at the word or we check in, whatever it is. But like, but we have a gathering and, and after every Friday, I feel like my soul got a hug most Fridays. I feel like, oh, that was good and I don't even exactly know why. Well, because God was meeting me relationally and bringing me back to this living hope that I can't get to on my own. I mean, if Elijah couldn't get there, I'm not going to get there on my own. And then finally, uh, at the heart level, God meeting you at the heart level. And um, 
the way that he meets Elijah at the heart level is, is he, he speaks his word to him. And it's, it's not in the thunderstorm or the firestorm. And I don't even know what it did to Elijah to be a part of calling down fire in that one moment. But the thing that got Elijah back here when he was here was the still, low voice of the Lord that came to him in a whisper when he was in his cave. And so you can eat right and make some changes there, and you can get involved in some small groups. But if you're not in the Word and allowing the Word the slowness of time to get back into you, I have no idea how you're going to experience the edge of hope, being filled with wonder and living with a heart that's growing warmer. And so my encouragement to you is to join God in the same way that he met Elijah, that he might meet you so that this even in the midst of dark times, can be your experience day after day after day. Even when the voice of the enemy or the voice of the culture or the voice that lives in here speaks against that, there's a stronger voice It is at the right hand of the Father. It is keeping your hope for you. It wants to remind you and encourage you and lead, guide, and guard you in 2022 so that you might be a people of the Christmas Eve life. Let's pray. God, I um, thank you for the opportunity to be here at the Exchange Church and just share about the fact that we have a living hope that is kept for us. God, and even as I pray, you are filling my mind, and I pray that you would fill our minds with this one final truth, that although we have the hope of the first resurrection, The best is yet to come. Like it's not Christmas Day yet, Lord. And there is a time, according to that passage, when you're going to bring the fulfillment of the hope when you come back. So God, I pray that you would bring us to the very edge of hope and you would fill our hearts with wonder and you would grow our hearts to a place of warmth that they've never been because of what we know and because of even what we don't know. Because we don't know what it's going to be like when you come back. We don't know what it's going to be like to have sin removed. We don't know what it's going to be like to have to not fight for the Christmas Eve life. But God, we know it's going to be good. 
And we know that you're going to come in and touch and heal and restore to a greater degree every trial, every testing, every moment of suffering, though it lasts for a little bit, that you might have greater glory and we might have greater joy for having walked through that trial. So in this living hope that is both here and yet to come, we hold, we hold, we hold. And we say, even as we close out in this final song, Jesus, would you come and would you whisper to us in your still low voice what your heart is for us in this moment? We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.